Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SIDERETIREDPOD in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the New York Mets, New York Yankees, and Big Time Rush. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. All righty, welcome back to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan joined alongside Matt. Kern was going to join us, but other things came up. But today we are going to be talking about the Mets and Dodgers series that happened these past couple of days. When you're listening to this, it is Friday, September 2nd. We're talking about the Mets-Dodgers series that occurred Tuesday through Thursday. Basically, these were the two heavyweights taking place in the National League, trying to show who's boss. I know the Mets took two out of three, and I don't think, even though Potter and I are both Mets fans, we're here to proclaim the Mets are the best in the National League. But what this does show is that we can definitely handle the Los Angeles Dodgers. These teams are pretty even. I'm pretty sure the run differential in this series was 28-27 Mets. Mets won four of the seven games that they played. Pretty even teams, and Max Scherzer also didn't pitch in this series. But you could also argue neither did Julio Urias, who's the Dodgers' best pitcher. But instead, Matt, how are you feeling? Two out of three from the Dodgers. Yeah, I think you what you just hit on the run differential basically shows that these teams are are a lot more even than I think people like to give the Mets credit for. Um, Dodgers, obviously, very, very good team. Um, but the Mets, I think, finally now don't have to prove anything else for the rest of the season. Now it's just looking towards October um, in terms of what's going to come for the rest of the year. I think when you look at this three-game series, they lost game one, which was an interesting game in that Taiwan Walker pitched well, five and a third, three runs. The bullpen struggled. And again, again, this was sort of the one thing you can pick on the Mets for is their deadline wasn't great. We all love Daniel Vogelbach because he's been, you know, he's he's a bigger guy. And that's why Mets fans love him. He had the milkshake walk-up song for a week or so. But the two areas that they really needed to focus on, catching and bullpen. James McCann, I don't think he's gotten a hit since he's come back from the injured list. Maybe he's gotten a couple. And the bullpen. Michael Givens has been awful. Like I hate to say it, but he's been awful. And Joely Rodriguez can't be the lefty out of the bullpen when, as we saw in this series, Freddie Freeman's coming up in a big spot. Bryce Harper's coming in a big spot. You don't trust Joely to get that out. So who knows? Tyler McGill to pitch a solid shutout, and he struck out all three batters today in Binghamton. So maybe he's going to be a guy that can play a role. But I think game one showed you Joely got the loss in this game. Givens did pitch two innings, but he did give up a walk, and it wasn't great or efficient either. So I think the Mets in game one, you flush it. It's a good game against a good team. I think the thing to shout out there is Jake Reed, former Met legend, was DFA'd by them earlier this year. He struck out the, or he got a one, two, three inning and got the save in that game and definitely showed up the Mets. Anything else you want to say about game one in general? Um, Not really. I think it's just interesting that, you know, Michael Givens didn't end up pitching for the rest of the series and did Joely Rodriguez. Um you know, I think this is the time of year where now you have to really prove, are you going to be competitive in a playoff spot? This is, you know, a, potentially an NLCS. I know, I don't even know if they're calling it that anymore. As <laughs> you've listened to some of the past episodes, I'm still trying to figure out this whole playoff situation. But in what would be the NLCS, um, you know, you're not going in games if you can't, if you can't perform in games like this against the Dodgers. So interesting that, uh, Michael Gibbons and Julio Rodriguez didn't get into the rest of the series. Um, 
The other thing that you brought up about Tyler McGill, um, I'm not sold on Tywan Walker. Um, and so, you know, in terms of a starting spot in the playoffs, potentially, um, you know, I, I guess the three right now are DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. Yeah. Um, but potentially McGill, depending how he throws when he comes back up. Um, I don't really want Tywan Walker in a in a fourth spot if if it came down to that or if somebody got hurt. Um I, I think everybody knows that from listening to a few of the <laughs> a few of the other times I've spoken about Tywan Walker. Not gonna be as harsh on him anymore, although I don't think he had a great outing. Um his ERA is still bearable. Um so yeah, I think you know this game competitive game, one run game. Didn't come out on top, but I don't think it really concerned me in the moment. Um, definitely doesn't concern me now. And you did mention Jacob DeGrom. We'll get to him in a second. I think with the Mets rotation, Carlos Carrasco is coming back and pitching on Sunday's game against the Washington Nationals. Obviously, he'll face tougher and better competition in the playoffs, but he could be a potential guy that starts that game four. Or they go not a bullpen route, but in general, more of a we're going to piece this game together with McGill gets a couple, Taiwan gets a couple, Carrasco gets a couple. And then there's the big question of can David Peterson in September prove that he can be the reliable bullpen piece instead of Joelle? Or could Peterson, in theory, they say, you know what? He's got to be a starter. He's that game four guy. But I think these are questions that the Mets will figure out in September. Now that they're facing a very soft schedule and they face the Pirates seven times, Oakland, Washington, the Brewers are in there once. So it's not a big Miami a couple times as well. There's only that one series against the Braves at the very end. That's sort of a quote-unquote tough playoff team left. All right, game two. This is the epitome of what the New York Mets could be all about at their best state. Jacob deGrom, seven innings, one run. Brandon Nimmo, the excellent defensive play in center field off of Justin Turner to basically save the game. And then Edwin Diaz. And we've hyped up Timmy Trumpet now for almost a year. And it's been electric at the ballpark. And then the Mets finally pulled off that he was there live on Wednesday. And if you haven't seen the video, we posted to the side retired Instagram page. But I'm sure you've seen it in other places as well. He's live performing in the ninth inning. And what does Diaz come out and do? He pitches a one, two, three inning. He strikes out Trey Turner. And I think what that signifies, and correct me if I'm wrong, if the Mets did this any other season, Diaz is blowing that save. And it's an LOL Mets moment because the Mets can't do anything right. And he planned this whole event and that would be the game that he finally blows. But this year, the Mets are a little different. I mean, things are going our way and they're actually winning games that they're supposed to win. And Edwin Diaz has looked dominant and Jacob DeGrom has looked dominant. And the offense clicked, I believe, this game. We had a Starling Marte home run that was early on in the game. And then Mookie Betts provided the only other offense with a home run off of Jake. But in general, your thoughts on this Mets win, Diaz, DeGrom, Marte, Nimmo, and anything else? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a different um, a different Edwin Diaz than we've had in the past. He's he's got the he's got the spark now. He's got the kind of big game moment. Um, you know, I can put my head down, I can go to work, I can put, you know, I can put three guys away to get to get our team a win. Um, I don't know if it's a change in his mental makeup. You are the mechanics guy, so I don't know if he's changed anything, um, but I do think a lot of it has to do with his mental makeup, just being able to pitch well. Um, cool that it happened against the Dodgers, too, just because, you know, they are one of the best teams in baseball. Um, so very good to see. Also, I think after this Jacob deGrom start, it's clear that whatever has happened in the past in terms of injury, in terms of, you know, anything, like – 
the old Jacob deGrom that, you know, 2015 led us to the World Series with Matt Harvey and Syndergaard is even better now and is here to stay. Um, I think it was still a little bit of a question mark up until this start, but this start has cemented it. I think in, when you also look at, you can see that Jacob deGrom is basically Edwin Diaz in a starter form. He gave up three hits in seven innings. He uses his primarily his fastball and his slider. I believe there's a great breakdown on MLU Network. He uses both of those pitches roughly 45%. And then he also mixes in a curveball and a changeup every once in a while. But he's really dominating with just two pitches, which is exactly what Edwin Diaz does as well. And yes, this is the pitching mechanics guy that's in me seeing this stuff. But also with Edwin Diaz in particular, he threw a pitch 103 miles per hour today to close out the game. He has never done that before in his career. I think his career high was around 101.9. Today, he hit, I think it was 102.8, which, of course, rounds up to 103. And even Gary Cohn made the point of Edwin Diaz is pitching harder than ever. So when you put a DeGrom and Diaz, and you can even throw, I guess we'll talk about him more when he got the save on Thursday, but he did get the hold in Wednesday's game. Adam Ottavino, who Yankees fans have told us now all year, he's going to blow it in the playoffs. I don't know. I kind of trust him. He's got a 2.01 ERA. He hasn't knocked on wood if I can find a piece of wood blown a game in a long time. And he's actually looked dominant in that he isn't like Diaz where he's going to throw a hundred miles an hour, but instead he's got a nice two seamer that's around 92 and a slider around 81, which especially when you put it between a DeGrom and Diaz who are throwing a hundred, it's different and it works. And I think that's also why Seth Lugo has been great with his curveball as well. Shout out to friend of the pod, Vicky Lugo, but the Mets are actually coming together. And this series against the Dodgers showed that this is a cohesive unit and can actually be a pretty solid baseball team. I know people say, LOL Mets, this was the opportunity for it to happen, and it didn't this year. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about game two. Honestly, not not especially. Um, yeah, Adovino pitching well is huge, um, just because there's question marks in the bullpen right now for those middle reliever positions. So he's probably cemented himself as one of the, the guys out of the pen in uh, in the postseason. Game three, we had, of course, that was today, probably tomorrow, by the t- or yesterday by the time you're listening to this episode. And this is your stereotypical Chris Bassett workhorse, six innings, two runs, in and out of trouble, but gets the job done and obviously gets the win, even though nobody really cares about wins. But it shows he's a gritty pitcher. He wants to throw 100-plus pitches every single time he's out there, and he gets the job done. And this is your stereotypical number three starter who I would trust. And I think you sort of mentioned this earlier. You trust Bassett to make a playoff start whether against the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Padres, the Astros, whoever, he's going to go out there and give you a solid performance. So thoughts on Bassett? Yeah, so my thing here is, look, Carrasco hasn't been great this year. Walker hasn't been great this year, but it's been better, in my opinion, than Carrasco. Um, and then you have Bassett, who's also been good, not great. David Peterson, who's been good, not great. In my mind, and I don't know about yours, in my mind, there's not a clear game three starter in the playoffs right now. There's kind of a toss up between probably Carrasco, Walker, and Bassett. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I'd say Bassett probably has the lead in that he hasn't, knock on wood, gotten hurt. So he's been most reliable guy that you know will give you six things. But I think it's not a guarantee he gets game three. So I think I think something like this game, it's it's a good sign. I mean, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty, um, but he got the job done. Like something that just like if you're looking at the box score itself, six hits, but only two runs, um, three walks, still only two runs. So guys are getting on base, not coming around to score. So he's able to kind of hold himself together, stay composed. 
Um, Shannon, guys on base in the playoffs too, just fires a team up, fires an offense up, um, and could be something that that we look for in the playoffs. Um, still, as much as I've dogged on him, don't count out Ty Walker though, because there's a possibility that I could see him being slated in as the three. Um, but I do agree that Bassett's probably your strongest contender for the three. Um, and I think this this performance definitely didn't didn't sway me either way. And then three offensive players that I want to highlight, some good, some bad. Francisco Lindor looked amazing this series. I believe his final totals were six for 10 in the three games. And even though everyone's saying, oh, he's paid $341 million, it's an overpay. He's been one of the best players in baseball this year, offensively and defensively. So maybe he's not worth 340, but he's a pretty good baseball player. And I would take him as our everyday shortstop 10 out of 10 times. And he's been absolutely amazing, especially of late. Brandon Nimmo's the second guy I want to highlight because Brandon Nimmo made a game-saving catch in the game two against Justin Turner, Jacob DeGrom. Brandon Nimmo was criticized in 2020 for his defense. I believe he had a negative, and Jack Stabmack, our other co-host, will tell you all the defensive metrics when he gets back. Nimmo was not a great defender. Bad reads, bad jumps, bad outs above average, whatever that stat is on baseball savant. He wasn't a good center fielder, and the Mets were looking desperately everywhere to find one. They brought in Billy Hamilton. They brought in Cameron Maben. Anybody who used to play center was playing center over Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo went to work, and now two years later, he's 94th percentile and outs above average. He made the game-saving catch on Wednesday, and he's proven he's a center fielder to the point that the Mets signed Starling Marte this offseason and told him you're our center fielder. But Brandon Nimmo shined so great this spring training that Nimmo's gotten the job, and Starling Marte has now found a home in right field behind Brandon Nimmo in center field. So shouting out Brandon Nimmo, shouting out Francisco Lindor, the third guy, it was one for his last 26. I told you this wasn't a good trade when we made it. And that's the Darren Ruff for J.D. Davis debacle because Darren Ruff can't hit. And Mark Vientos is sitting in AAA with a similar type bat first, crushes lefty, slugging right-handed hitting player. And they even asked Buck or Epler, I forget which one it was, sort of why was Vientos not one of the September call-ups? And he says, oh, because then what would you do with Darren Ruff? DFAM? I don't know. <laughs> There's... There's definitely a way to fit him on the roster. And yes, you gave up a ton with J.D. Davis, who's mashing in San Francisco with Thomas Sapucky, who's, eh, you know, he's a body. He's performed well in the minors in the past. And then the third prospect, who I'm forgetting his name right now, I believe they said he topped out at 97 miles per hour today. Calvin Ziegler? No, it's not Calvin Ziegler. It's one of Carson Seymour. It's 97 miles an hour and looked really good in the Giants system today. And we gave him up as well for Darren Ruff. So, that trade's not looking great. That goes back to the initial idea of the trade deadline was not that great for the New York Mets, but I don't know. Do you have anyone else you want to shout out? Otherwise, well, Lindor, no, I just want to say two things. One is um, Michael Conforto. I'm guffawing at you right now because <laughs> the Mets have probably one of the best outfields they've had in a while. Um, and it's without you in it because you were a little baby, but that's a different story. Um, and the second thing is, I agree with you. I kind of, I kind of saw this coming. I was scratching my head. You know, we were on that whatever it was three and a half hour Zoom, waiting for our trade to happen, and Darren Ruff was our trade, and uh, we were both looking at each other like, "What the hell is going on?" Um, you knew JD Davis was going to go mash in San Francisco. We saw this happening. Um, can't really say I'm surprised. Kind of expected the Mets to do this. Thankfully, it's not affecting us too much. Um, taking two out of three from the Dodgers is huge. Um, 
Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. And with the Dodgers series now over, the next 16 games I will read out to you. Three against Washington, three against Pittsburgh, three against Miami, three against the Cubs, and then four against the Pirates. 16 games. What do you think the record's going to be in those 16 matchups? I'm worried, uh, honestly, because this seems like something that the Mets could honestly fumble, having this much of a cakewalk so close to the postseason. Um, but if they play the way they're playing right now, I think there's a very good chance that we end up if if we continue to play this way, I'd be happy with 13 and three. I'd be happy with even 12 and four. Um, I wouldn't be happy with anything less than 12 and four, probably just because you need to win these games. Win the games you're supposed to win. So you can give yourselves a little cushion when you play teams like the Dodgers, and then when you beat them, it's even better. Um, but I'm not crazy. Like, oh my god, this is gonna be the greatest 16 game stretch of the Mets season just because this does seem like something the Mets could screw up and God only knows what. I don't know. I said the Mets are different this year and that this is obviously, and everyone remembers last year when we went to Pittsburgh and Jacob Stallings hit the walk-off grand slam and Diaz pointed up thinking he was going to catch it. And then it's obviously wasn't caught. I think you're right. 12 and four. I'll even go 11 and five. Just win every series. I don't, because I think it's five series. So if you take two out of three in each one, and then I think there's one four games. So you take three out of four there. That's 11 and five. I think we sign up for that because I'm not sure Atlanta is going to keep up and be able to catch up with that because their schedule is a little bit harder than ours. As long as we remain three games up entering that Atlanta series at the end of September, which I believe is September 30th, everything should be good. So obviously this was a nice Mets wrap up. Me and Potter. Curran might come on in a couple of days. I miss Curran. I really wish we could sit here and make fun of him. But like at the same time, I I guess I couldn't really make too much fun of him. Three one run one-run games, but, like, it would have been nice. I think we're going to see Kern, though, in October at some point. I would be stunned if this wasn't an NLCS preview because, in reality, the Mets are going to be facing the Cardinals and the Padres. Neither of those teams scare me. The Dodgers are going to be facing the Braves and the Phillies. Obviously, Atlanta could go on a run like they did last year, but I think people would be shocked if it's not a Mets-Dodgers NLCS, which we'll definitely get excited for seeing Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer. Versus guys like Kershaw, who pitched well in his return from the injured list today on Thursday. Maybe yesterday by the time you're listening to this, but definitely a fun series. Mets took two out of three. In nowhere, we're saying we're for sure better than the Dodgers now, but we are saying we're pretty equal with them, no matter what the records are saying. So, Potter, unless there's anything else you want to throw in. Nope. We are indeed. My roommate just said we are four and three on the season against the Dodgers. So, we did win the season series. That is something positive. I will also shout out that we will have fun stuff coming out Labor Day this upcoming Monday with our new schedule release, as well as a couple fun interviews coming out next week as well. So make sure to go follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, and the YouTube. Matt, you're on Team Instagram for that social media challenge, which isn't doing great. That's an internal fun little competition that we won't share just yet. Maybe we'll blast you guys on Monday if one of the teams actually reaches the goal. But We'll get into that later. Cubs fans, definitely make sure to look out. We have a fun interview coming out for you guys next week. So unless there's anything else, I think we're all good. So until the next time, the side is retired.